You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Joining me again, Micah. What's up, man? Nothing. What are you up to? Uh, I don't know. It is currently 1142 on a Monday night, and we're just getting done podcasting. So. It, was a, it was a good one, though. It a lot was. A lo- lot of information. You're going to want to listen to this one twice, for sure. Which is a lot asking. It is. It's asking it's a, a lot. Two-hour show, but. It's a two-hour show. It's a two-hour show. It's our longest one yet, but there's a lot of good information in there. And if you're like me, you don't catch everything the first time. So listening to that second time, that you know, yeah, maybe get a notebook. Yep. <laughs> we we so today we do have on Mark Livesey with Treeline Pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Mark has Treeline Academy that really goes through and just basically breaks down. Um, how to find elk and and what he does and and yeah. try to tries to give that knowledge to the the, the, the non resident elk yeah. hunter and I mean we mentioned in the show but he he's from Missouri he's been going out you know out west to whichever state he's been doing it for thirty years and so he knows he knows how to go out there and find elk and he put it in a platform to where he tells you this is what you need to do these are the tools yep. and stuff and he breaks it all down into different. Uh, courses yeah so the the idea really behind today's show is to try to talk to that missouri person or midwest person or whoever that is toying with the idea going out or wants to go out but doesn't really know how this is a a good show to kind of give you some basics or some some good starting tips to just do it and it's it's really as simple as that yep decide you're going to do it do it don't make it harder than it is you're probably not going to kill anything your first year anyway go out and have fun um and and kind of mark breaks down and gets into detail on a lot of things too and mm-hmm. and um i mean we we go down some rabbit holes we start talking about points and different things like that but uh yeah you know still it was a really good podcast uh so we really appreciate him coming on so yeah so let's little, uh, yeah let's get into it let's get right into it this is the missouri woods and water podcast All right, ready to have some fun on this one. Today we got uh, Mark Livesey with Treeline Pursuits. Mark, what's up, man? Hey, guys, Nate. Mike, how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing good. Doing real good, man. Yeah, we're good. We're... I mean, I'm, I'm not used to I'm not used to podcast guys running me until 9 o'clock at night, but, I mean, that's, I guess that's the way the Missouri boys roll. They roll late. <laughs> when when you roll with Missouri guys, you got to roll hard. That's all I'm going to say, right? And that's why I, we why knew. Do you think I'm, why do you think I moved out of that state? You <laughs> couldn't handle it, could you? Huh? Uh, that's why we knew you could. Ha- it, <laughs> but see, that's that's why we knew you could handle a late one because you're from Missouri, so we knew you could handle it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Well, we're excited to talk to you. Uh, for the listeners, Mark is originally from Missouri. He doesn't live here anymore, but. Um, 
you know, originally from Missouri, and we thought this would be a great guy to have on to talk about going out west from Missouri, obviously, or anywhere in the heartland uh, to hunt whatever animal that you want to chase, elk, muleys, you know. Bear, what, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. And uh, the reason why we thought Mark would have would be a great guest is, I mean, multiple reasons. He's been he had been doing it for years when he lived here. Yep. Every year, going out west and and making it happen before things like Treeline Academy existed and different services and um, made it work. And then um, you know he also now has a a Treeline Academy and Treeline Pursuits that um, can help people with preparations and, and and getting ready and being successful when they're going out there so kind of a, a double dip for us yeah. honestly yeah so um why don't you before we get into it um just in case someone doesn't know who you are introduce yourself um tell everybody a little bit about treeline pursuits and treeline academy and uh kind of give them a background about your your hunting career out west and how it started here and, and we'll just kind of go from there Okay, well, um, first of all, people probably mostly turned off by the fact I'm from Missouri already. I mean, that, that's probably a negative um, right <laughs> off the bat. But, uh, <laughs> hey, now, I've been on, Nate. You've been paying attention to what I'm doing, obviously, because you're asking the right questions. So you obviously know that I'm not hiding from the fact, or am, nor am I embarrassed from the fact that I'm from Missouri, right? I mean, you're pretty clear on that, right? I just want to get that cleared up. Yeah, okay. oh, no, you're proud to um, show me, boy. Oh yeah, I'm a I'm born and raised um, from Missouri. Uh, I got the elk bug when I I graduated college. I went to well, I'm gonna really date myself. It was Southwest Missouri State uh, SMSU um, back in the day, and now it's MSU. So um, I graduated there, and then I actually was from Springfield originally, and moved to Columbia. Huge whitetail hunter. Been hunting whitetail since I was 10 years old. Killed my first whitetail when I was 10 with a 30-pound recurve. I don't, I don't, I'm embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed to tell you how many arrows I had to put into that deer um, <laughs> to get it with that bow. But I did get it done, and that was really how I got hooked on the whole whole archery phenomenon, so to speak. So I hunted whitetails all through my life uh, until I was about 20. I was out of college. I was working for a company, a nonprofit, and my boss uh, at the time, big white tail hunter as well, he said, let's just head out west and let's hunt elk. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, let's do it. I mean, I was 20, I don't know, four or five around that range, maybe even a little younger than that. And um, <laughs> you're going to like, oh, man, I, I tell this story. I don't, I don't go into the only reason I'm going into these details is because I'm talking to two Missouri boys. Usually, yes, I do exclusive. Not fess, I usually do not fess up to what <laughs> I'm about to say. <laughs> so we went hunting on my first elk hunt, and maybe this will put some people at ease. We were in a front wheel drive minivan. Um, I hate to admit it, we were in a minivan on our first elk hunt. My boss had a minivan. You know, his wife's thought I had plenty of room. We thought we could sleep in it. Uh, we thought that'd be like the ultimate elk hunting rig. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, after about, I think we flatted, I think we replaced every tire on the minivan on that trip. We lost every hubcap, drug it I, over, I don't know how many you know roads we drug the bottom on that thing. But we hunted elk, and uh, I had never seen an elk in the wild. 
you know, never just TV, I mean, TV or pictures or whatever. Sure. I mean, YouTube, I don't even know if YouTube exists. If it did, I, I certainly didn't know about it at the time. And, uh, so we rolled out there and I actually shot an elk on the first trip and it was strictly by accident. This cow elk ran through the woods. I thought it was a horse with a cat, with a colt. <laughs> and I thought it got loose, like from somebody. And I was watching it. I'm like, and it finally hit me. I'm like, that's it. That's an elk. And ran right up to me. Like I had to lean back <laughs> to keep my broadhead from touching his shoulder when it ran around the tree. Holy hell. It was like with less than five yards. Oh, wow. Um, and then it came in. It was like right on the other side of the tree that I was on. I leaned back. I drew my bow. I couldn't even use the pins. I'm shooting a PSE bow on every year. And I just had to kind of hold the arrow where I thought it should hit and let go. And it hit it high, super high. And we tracked the thing. We did find it. And then when we process we had no idea we gutted it like a whitetail literally gutted it like you do a whitetail yeah, we had yeah. we had no idea now for you western guys or if you guys are coming that is not the way to do elk you need to learn how to do um the gutless method okay right. if you're going to do elk you need to learn how to do that i'm just going to before we go any further don't listen to what i'm about to say pro Make tip sure number one method. yeah <laughs> pro tip number one is don't gut an elk <laughs> I mean, you can. It just makes it more complicated. Right. So anyway, we got this elk going to whitetail, and then we start working on it. We get this thing hacked up. It's so much, obviously, bigger than a whitetail. And then we're packing the thing out. We get lost packing it out. And this was the days. Remember, this was prior to Onyx Maps, mm-hmm. prior, to GP, prior to GPS even. I hate to even update myself. This is prior to any electronic navigation. It was compass and maps. That's it. Oh, wow. So we're, long story short, so we're packing this elk out, and we're in a swamp. And I'm telling my boss, I'm like, we didn't come through a swamp <laughs> to get here. <laughs> so why are we in a swamp right now <laughs> with 100 pounds of meat? We packed the entire cow out in one trip. Oh, wow. So we are carrying, and it wasn't a giant elk, but, I mean, we're carrying 100 pounds each. With our day with our day pack equipment and the elk, we're probably over a hundred pounds. Yeah, and we are just struggling. We're in pretty good shape, but we're Missouri boys. We're at altitude. We're at ten thousand feet or so. We're in a swamp, which in Colorado is a rare thing, anyway. Let's just be honest. But we did not go through a swamp to get to this elk, and that's what I kept thinking in my mind. I'm like, what is going on? So we walk and we walk and we're looking at the map and we're reading our compass and we cannot figure out what's going on. We're totally lost. It's midnight or whatever time it was. It was middle of the night. I don't know what time. Finally, we see a car headlight. We're like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. We're going to see where this road is. We're going to see where the road is. So the car is coming around. the. Oh, we can see it taking the mountain road, you know, doing the curves. The lights will go away, and then they'll come back, that kind of thing. Finally, long story, but this car makes the final turn, and it's only like maybe a half mile from us. We're like, oh, man. We're, we're in luck. And the thing drives right by us. I mean, literally, <laughs> I could have touched, touched it. And it, it drove right by us. I'm like, what in the? We were in the ditch of the road for <laughs> like 45 minutes. And the road was like right above you? an hour. Right. We could, it was so dark. 
we didn't know we were in the we we were in this swamp which was the ditch um and the car drove by us and we're the smoke the dust from the you know the gravel road is in our face <laughs> and we just laughed we laughed and laughed and laughed because we've been walking in this ditch for 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> And it was a big ditch. I mean, I, I'm give us some credit here. It was kind of a big ditch, and uh, but we were literally right next to the road the whole time. So we get on the road, and now we're like, which way is the car? And so we left the meet, and he walked one way, I walked the other, and we made a deal: whoever got to the car would get the keys, and we had the, at least we were smart enough to hide the keys, and we would drive and pick up the other dude. <laughs> that yeah. was. That's how my first elk hunt went and ended. But um, not all Missouri boys start out that way. They're a lot more um, with it than we were. But if I can do it at that level, then anybody can do it, especially at today's level. There's yeah. so many resources and tools and stuff that's available to the elk hunters today that wasn't available to us back then. And, well, for example, like this podcast, the fact that we're even – talking about this and the guys can listen to this and get a little insight from things we're going to talk about. It's just changed the game. It just really has changed the game. Yeah. And, but and I that, thought that story would be pretty good because, you know, Missouri boys are always like, I want to make sure I want to, I, the reason I tell that story is I want people to feel comfortable in the fact that you can make a million mistakes. You can make every mistake, but I'm going to tell you right now, elk hunting is something that, all Midwestern guys, you should all do it, especially if you love whitetail hunting like I did. It was just, and I didn't, my whitetail hunting pursuits did not diminish one bit once I went elk hunting. Didn't even change it hardly. Yeah. But it just created another drive for me, and it's just like, it was just so gratifying to do it, and for all the years I did it. So I traveled from Missouri to the West for about, I'm I'm not sure. I've never really put things. I know I've been hunting elk for over 30, and I think I'm closing in on 32 years. So for 25 years in a row, 26 years in a row, uh, I traveled from Missouri to a western state somewhere to chase elk. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you, you said it perfectly because I've been asked this question before is, well, you know, what do you like better, elk hunting or, or whitetail hunting? And I'm like, I, they're, they're, they're not even the same, and I love them both. I mean, it's like, do you like do you like your wife's red dress or the black dress? I don't know. They're both smoking hot. I like them both. Yeah. You know, uh, right. they're not even. Hey, that's good. I hope your your wife must listen to this podcast. I guess I don't think she listens to us at all. But I still I still love my wife. So, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, they're they're not even similar, and that's why I love them both so much. You know, it's it's uh, just it's two different things, and so, and that's one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on was to kind of talk to that person that, yeah, the resources are out there and there might be somebody out there listening to us that wants to go out West that doesn't, I mean, I'll be dead ass honest with you. Micah and I both kind of were given silver, silver spoons when it comes to elk hunting, because we already, we went with guys who had already been going for years. Oh, so, nice. you know, I didn't have to pick a unit my first year I ever went. I didn't have to pick what, mostly anything. Yeah, we didn't you have know? to pick a state. We didn't have to, I mean, do so, the research. Like, 
somebody might have to do. Yeah. And like you probably did. So, you know, you know, I mean, it's, it's different, but there, I guarantee you there are people out there or like, you know, a, a buddy, a set of buddies that are like, man, we would love to go, but how do we even start? And yeah, we're actually a little bit late talking about this for some states, but if, if you were talking to two guys right now and Nate and Micah who had never been out elk hunting at all, what are some of the first things you're going to say to us that we should do to, to, to take that step this year? Because now is the time to start preparing. It's not in June. It's, it's in February, actually January, December, really. But yeah. now is the time to kind of start getting ready for that, especially if you want to put in and, and we can get into all that. But what are some of the first bit of advices you're going to give people uh, that are thinking about taking that leap? Well, I want to start off with a couple things. It's really interesting that you asked that question because just tonight I was on I, – I really follow – there's a couple groups on Facebook I want to mention. And I, I don't know these guys. I have no affiliation with these guys. They don't promote my – they don't even know who I am. But there are two Facebook groups that you should absolutely follow. One is, one is non-resident elk hunters. And um, I wish I, I hopefully I could pull this up here while we're talking. I'll give you the exact names so you can search for it. I'm literally going to do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> These guys, they post some of the dumbest and the most brilliant questions. And I laugh every time I'm on this site because the level of questions that you get that people get posted and the level of brilliance that gets posted it's all in one spot and they don't bash people. They don't, there's no negativity. It's, it's great. It is so great. And I don't even know why I got sucked into these groups and I don't, I don't promote my course on them. I probably should, but I don't, I follow along and I answer a few questions every now and then. And, but this non-resident, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's non-resident Western big game hunters. Just pulled it up. Um, Join. <laughs> is a group. And it's a great resource just for, you can, you can just read the threads. They got gun talk. They got backpack talk. All kinds of things. And what I like about it is it's, you know, it's, I'm sure there's some res. I mean, I'm a resident of Montana and I'm all right. But for the most part, it's guys that are looking to hunt out of state. Okay. And so there's a lot of questions related to that. And the next, the next one that is good or better is elk addicts. That site has got a unbelievable wealth of knowledge when it comes to gear and reviews and draw statistics and deadlines and just all the game, everything that goes into the game of elk hunting this elk addicts and it's a giant group. Yeah, 112,000 uh, members is what I'm looking at right here. Yeah, it is a massive. It's one of the number one hashtags on Instagram. Having my course and doing marketing like I do, I, I pay attention to hashtags. I pay attention to how many people follow hashtags. It's one of the top elk hashtags. The only one that might be a little bigger is, is it September yet? Everybody's heard about that one for archery guys. And but this elk addicts may even be bigger if not a close second. But those are two right off the bat. I'd recommend those. I have no affiliation with these guys. 
I don't know anything about them. I follow them both. I think they're fantastic for non-resident guys. And um, they just, they're just they just great. You can ask questions and you don't get just railed. You don't get demeaned. And at least I haven't seen it. I'm not saying it might not happen. Um, anyway, I've said enough about those two. So those two resources are free. They're available. Spend some time there. Read through their historical posts. And you'll gather just a ton of information from there. But if I was getting started elk hunting, the number one thing I'm going to say is, you know, there's so many details when it comes to elk hunting. Mm-hmm. Don't let that don't let that worry you. Don't let it deter you. Don't let it don't let you feel like, well, I'm going to have to wait a couple of years until I get a better grip. No, no, don't do it. Agreed. The bottom line. Yeah. Is, the bottom line is you that you guys have done it. Just go do it. Don't have any expectations. Think of it as a backpacking trip. Don't think of it as an elk hunt. If you approach it that way and you don't put these, these, these stresses on yourself and you don't put these expectations on yourself, you're going to be so much better off. And then if you do get lucky, and I'm going to say lucky because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be straight up. If you're a do-it-yourself elk hunter hunting on public land from the Midwest, your odds are dismal. I mean, they're dead. Oh yeah, yep. They're they're less than five percent, probably, in my estimation. It, the average is about ten to twelve, maybe fifteen in some areas. Yeah. But unless you can draw one of the special tags, which odds are you're not, if you're just starting with no points, no nothing, the odds are against you there too. I don't want to be I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I also don't want to be I want to be realistic. Go to the states you can go to. And we'll talk about that in a second. Have a great experience. Learn. Be a freaking sponge. Get your hunt plan together. I don't care if you take my course or not. I don't care. But you you need a hunt plan, okay? Mm-hmm. You have to have a strategy. If you go out there with a couple waypoints on your phone, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for it. You've got to have a strategy. You've got to have your access points worked out. You've got to have how you're going to get into this area, how you're going to get out of this area. What's the terrain? What's the steepness in? What's the elevation gain in, out, around? What's the general terrain look like? I mean, whether or not there's elk there or not, that's probably part two. The first part is, like, you got to be able to navigate it, and you got to be honest with yourself of what you're capable of doing. If you're not in the best of shape, then don't schedule the hunting area that's in 25-degree um, 25, 25 slopes. Let's just be honest. Don't <laughs> yeah. look for an area that's got a freaking where I mean, where rocks are rolling down the hills as you're walking. Um, those are not places you want to be from Missouri when you're not in shape, or you're going to hate it. You're going to hate every second of it. And so, there's a lot of things to pick an area that meets your hunting style. Are you going to hunt from a car? Are you going to backpack? Are you going to do a drop camp with an outfitter? Are you going to do a mixture of base camp, maybe with a couple of days of backpack? Whatever the strategy, it doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means you need to come to grips with it. You need to understand it, and you need to develop, I'm going to say this again, you need to develop your hunt plan around your capabilities and even more so your group's capabilities. Yeah. Let's say Micah 
let's say Mike is a badass fitness dude. That's right. And let's say that Nate is kind of a slug. <laughs> well, you love Nate, Micah. No, he doesn't. And you want him to have a good experience, and you're setting up this hunt. You're in charge. And you could go to the top of an 11,000-foot mountain, no problem, coming from Missouri first day. You got it. But maybe Nate, maybe not. Well, if you set this hunt up around your capabilities and your partner's capabilities, or it's beyond his capabilities, you're going to have the worst hunt you've probably ever been on. And you're probably going to lose a friendship. You're going to have trouble. You're going to struggle. He's going to struggle. Everybody's going to struggle. So I learned that. My boss was quite a bit, you know, I said I hunted with my boss the first year, and I'm not trying to put him down or nothing, but at the time, I was doing Ironmans like crazy. I was just super fit. He was 15 years older than me, and so I had to set these hunts up so that it met both of our capabilities. And we really enjoyed, we hunted 19 years together. Nice. And um, I enjoyed every second of that relationship. Well, and let's be honest. But I had to go ahead. Let's be honest. the The scenario you just painted, if that were the way, if if that were the way it was, let's make no mistake. I would bitch about it the entire time. And so, yeah. yes, Micah would not be happy. No, it, it would be fun. You know? Well, I mean, I don't want to make this too much of a drama queen thing, but guys, it's a it's a big deal. It's a really big it, yeah. deal. You're making. You're heading out there. You guys have been. How many times have you guys been elk hunting? Uh, I've been five years, Micah. This will be your fourth, fourth year out yep. there. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you guys are kind of like veterans. We're kind of. Well, we're still kind of new, though. Yeah. I mean, but you can remember back. You can remember those early couple of years. You're a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. Little nervous. Nervous. Yep. Um, do we have everything we need? Um, so most guys, when they go elk hunting, they focus on a couple of things. They focus on their gear. They get obsessed with gear. Hunters are obsessed with gear. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but that is a, like, in my world, that is, like, number five. That's number five on my list of priorities. Now, you want to have the best gear you can have, but you don't have to have the best gear. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I hunted, I've hunted in cotton. Everybody says, I've hunted in cotton pants. I've worn cotton T-shirts. I've worn cotton socks. I'm not saying it was pleasant. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I would do it again. I'm just saying I've done it for multiple years. If it comes down to gear keeping you from hunting elk, that's not the reason to keep you from hunting elk. Yeah, I mean. The- now, you don't want to be stupid about it. You don't want to put yourself in risk, but there is a, there's a, everybody's like, when I get the gear, when I have the nicer bow, when I this, when I that, if you keep staying those kinds of things, you're never going to go. Never gonna go. Yeah. You're never yeah. going to go. You're just never going to pack up and head West. Yeah. And actually that's one and, of the, one of the things we'll, uh, we'll actually bring that up to you here in a little bit too, is we, we actually thought of this question to ask you is about gear um, just some, some basic things that people really should have, and that's really all they need. Yeah. Uh, because that's one thing we've heard, too, is, well, I don't, I don't have the, the, the right setup for, you know, camo or base layers or all, you know, whatever. And um, so that, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit uh, on gear, too, because you're right. It doesn't have to be, be $10,000 worth of junk. 
That's you right. That's right. You, know, you, you don't got to go oh, out gonna, there I'm and gonna, it, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. And not a lot. I mean, people get too wrapped up in it. I can't wait to say a few things about that. I just want to – I guess I'm kind of overkill in this, but I talk to so many – now that I've got this class, you know, this e-scouting class that I did – and that I've been on, I guess, I mean, this might be my, I'm around the 30-ish podcast range now. Um, I've talked to so many guys that really know their shit. I've talked to so many guys that are kind of beginners. I've talked to, well, I've talked to Chad, you know, backcountry rookies. He's, yeah. You know, he's. we talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude stood me up in New Mexico. I'm going to throw him under the bus <laughs> one more time. One more podcast. He was supposed to come and help me pack my bull out in New Mexico, and he totally bailed on me. So I want to make sure I keep putting that out there. I'm sorry, um, Ch- I'm sorry, Chad. That was all Mark's idea. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, Chad. I'm sorry. I love Chad. Uh, he knows. Great I do, guy. But yep. uh, he's a great guy. He does more for the sport than just about anybody I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want people to forget about getting every duck in a row. The one thing I know about hunters. including myself a lot of people they feel like they have to be completely i hear this all the time when i get like i said before i want to say it again when i get the gear when i get the bow when i get the money when i get this that's when i'm going to go well i'm going to break i'm going to break your little, little glass bubble here the odds of you killing an elk in your first year are almost zero anyway yep if you do, it's a bonus. How many elk have you guys killed on your trip? You guys have been five and four. How many? You want to know how many I've personally killed? Zero. And Micah? Zero. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, my well, very first year, the, the story you told a little bit earlier, the first elk I ever saw was a bull, and he was probably 60 yards oh, away. Geez. And I didn't even remember I had a bow in my hand. <laughs> I, I, it was just like I saw this this ghost of an animal, and it was just like my I bet my jaw was on the ground, and I I he probably could have walked right up to me, and I I would have forgot I had a weapon. I mean, so you're right. It, it's it's about the experience and learning those new things the first several years, anyways, yeah, more than it is. You just gotta break that ice. And just yeah. Get in. Yeah. So think about it. Think about what you guys just told me. And you're like, you got a podcast. We're talking about elk hunting at nine o'clock at night. I mean, you guys are in it to win it. And you're still after your first elk. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it just tells you, it just, I think it, that concrete to my point is the power and the, and the, um, just the gratification and the, I guess a better word is the empowerment um, that you get from like doing stepping outside of your comfort zone and kind of doing it. And I'm, let me tell you something, my Montana friends, when they hear me talk like this on podcast, they like just lose their mind. <laughs> They're like, dude, why would you encourage anybody else to come to Montana <laughs> <laughs> or any other state? It's already, there's already too many of the non It's an invasion into elk hunting out here already. And I'm like, dude, cause I'm one of them. You know, there's a bill, just kind of a sidetrack. There's a bill right now. I was getting ready to bring that up. Yeah. There's a bill in Montana trying to limit the number of tags that goes to non-resident people unless they have a guide. Well, for me personally, that's a pretty great bill. 
because I know there's going to be less people hunting public land where I like to hunt. And all these guys will be taking them on private land and blah, blah, blah. And that's a good thing for me, but it's a terrible thing. Because, yeah. I, guys, I buy more non-resident tags every year. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I buy more non-resident tags every year than I do Montana tags. Last year I had five elk tags, and I did not fill my Montana tag. My Even my wife had to make a couple comments about that. <laughs> she goes, you can't fill a $20 tag, but you can fill a $1,300 tag. I'm like, oh, baby, it's just the way it works. It's yeah. more expensive. I had to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you want me I mean, come on. I mean, it's a, it's a price per pound kind of thing. <laughs> well, I think it goes back, by the so, way, Mark. Just FYI, to people listening, like you just said with me and Micah, uh, this will be my fifth or sixth year uh, coming up in 2022 or 21, 22, 21, goddamn. And uh, this will be my sixth year or what, whatever, and still looking for that first kill, and that should tell people how awesome elk hunting is. That That's exactly what you're I'm You're almost say. never I, I, successful, I think, and you still love it. I don't think it. I've done a good job of saying it, but you just said it is like, I was the same, but now I got super lucky on my first year, but unfortunately, so I killed an elk on my first year, but I went a couple years after that pretty dry. I thought, well, this is easy. That was a cow. But then I was like, then reality hit. Yeah. <laughs> like a couple of years went by and I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't so easy. And um, so it, don't worry about the success. Don't overanalyze it. But I will tell you, it is more important, and I, I'm not promoting my course. I, I mean, I, if you want to do it, that's great. But if you don't, that's great too. The number one job when it comes to elk hunting is trying to put yourself in a place that actually has elk. Because most people think they're just going to drive out west, they're going to roll into Colorado, they're going to pull over on the side of the road, and they're going to get out of their car, and they're going to hit elk bugling up on the side of the mountain, they're just going to go up there. They make a couple cow calls, and the bull's going to come in, they're going to shoot it, and they're going to carry it down, downhill to the car, a couple, maybe a mile. Well, that might happen, but the odds are it probably won't happen that way. And elk only inhabit a relatively small, small, small portion of the West. And so you, as a future elk hunter, the biggest challenge is not the gear, not the tag, not the draws, nothing to do with, with elk hunting as far as that type of stuff. It's got everything to do with putting yourself in a place or being able to identify places that actually elk want to be. And that was the whole reason. That's the entire reason I created this course was because I felt like I needed to do my best to pass along some knowledge I've learned over 30 years of how to actually find places that actually elk want to be. They're desirable locations for elk. There's no guarantees with that, guys. There's no guarantees. But when it comes to elk hunting, the odds, we already talked about it, and people are, we've already depressed people. The <laughs> odds are dismal. But, but I know guys that have killed elk with a bow 20 25 years in a row. You don't do that every single year because you're a good elk, because you're a good shot with a bow. You, that, that's the way it works. Yeah. 
You can shoot. You can be. You can shoot a hundred yards. You can be deadly at a hundred yards on elk with a bow and and never kill an elk. Yeah, because it doesn't matter if, if you can shoot a hundred yards when they're actually ten miles away on a different mountain. <laughs> That's right. You, know? you can't. I say this in my course all the time. You cannot kill elk that are not there. Yep. It's, it's impossible. And you yep. just cannot. And so. The key is learning the guys that kill elk every single year after year after year. It's not because they're the best elk hunters. It's not because they got the best gear. And it's certainly not because they're the best shots. Now, all that helps. Don't get me wrong. It all helps. And it all contributes. But those guys know where those elk are. They know where they like to live. And they go, they're willing to do what it takes to get to those places where those elk want to be. And that's the key. That's the bottom line is the key. But as a Midwestern guy, when you're going out the first time or even the second time or third time, fifth time, whatever, early in your career, it's really about gaining that. I say this a lot. It's historical knowledge. The more time you can spend out West, the more historical knowledge you're going to bank. And the more historical knowledge you bank, the more your odds are just exponentially increasing. I sure hope so. And yeah, they are. (laughs) And and you guys, now that you're doing this podcast and you're talking to more and more elk hunters and you're, you're doing what you're doing. Do you not feel like you're being infused with more and more elk hunting knowledge that, that maybe when you first started? Oh, sure. I mean, and that's just not with elk hunting. It's everything we've talked about on this. Hunting in general. Yeah. There's, we feel smarter after talking to people like you and other guys that we've had on, no doubt about it. And I hope it, I hope it drives <laughs> success. No doubt. I mean, it's been, uh, I mean, you're well aware of this. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to cover this too. It's doing that homework up front, finding out where the elk want to be, and then being ready to adapt to, <laughs> to, uh, out, I guess you'd say outside forces when you're there because um, you can be prepared, right? You can feel like you're ready. You can feel like you know where the elk are going to be, and then you can be correct. And then you can also be one of about 40 other guys that are doing the same That's thing. That's right, yeah. And yeah. you've got to be ready to go, now where are the elk going? Because they're not here anymore. There's so many guys here. So, you know, it's um, – there's, a, I mean, there's a lot for that, and and you you do learn those things as you're out hunting. But for the the guy or gal that is is just the the, I guess, how do I say it? The desire is there to go, but they j- they just have no idea where to start. This is a good a good uh, a good bit of advice you're giving is doing your homework. It doesn't really matter where you start. I mean, I'm going to give you yeah. specifics coming up here. I, if you, if we, you know, if you guys want to get it, I want to give you actual usable Intel that you can use to plan an elk hunt. But before I did that, I just want to put it. I wanted to concrete the idea that the idea of elk hunting supersedes the great spot. It supersedes the, I'm going to the right unit or the right state. Just the fact that you're making the decision to go give it a shot and have a great time doing it. 
even if it's just a camping trip, if you're just hiking with your bow, and I hear that all the time, you know, I'm going to go for a hike with my bow or my gun, whatever you're using. <laughs> um, dude, I mean, I've done tons of those hikes. I hunted over, well, I hunted elk this year. I don't know for sure, but I, I haven't run my numbers this year, but I think I was around 65 days um, of hunting elk this year. Oh, wow. Real close to 60 or 65 days. Lucky. I spent I spent over a hundred days in a tent this year, and I had some dismal friggin' hunts. I hate to even admit this. On a Wyoming, I went with six dudes to Wyoming, okay, this year. Two residents guided us into uh, Wyoming because in in the wilderness area, you have to have a a right, guide or right. a resident mm-hmm. for every two non-resident hunters. So uh, six of us rolls in, rolled into Wyoming, two resident guides, and then four of us uh, Montana losers. <laughs> and uh, we go in 12 miles into Wyoming. I mean, I, I'm supposed to be the e-scouting guru, right? I mean, that's what everybody says I am. So I can't believe I'm even saying this too. So, um, we're supposed to roll in. I researched this spot. We had 14 river crossings to get to this spot. It was insane. We were so soaked. We couldn't keep our boots. We literally just gave up. We just started wading through with our boots, and we knew we had to spend an entire day drying our shit out. So we just started just walking across the creek. We had 12 llamas. Um, I don't Well, maybe we had, I don't know how many, a lot of llamas. <laughs> And we had to cross the creeks where we could cross with the llamas. You can't, you can't pick and choose like with these llamas with that big string of llamas. You just got to go across. Right. So anyway, I mean, you know, it's knee deep, thigh deep water. And so we're just crossing. And we ran into grizzlies on the way in. We ran into a mom with four cubs on the trail. Oh, God. That, that's scary. On the way in. Yep. On the freaking way in. Two miles from the trailhead. Little did we know, it was like this famous grizzly number 399 or 499. I can't remember her number, but we got video of her. And so, you know, just turned out she's like the most famous grizzly in Yellowstone. And uh, thank goodness. Thank freaking goodness, because she's so humanized. She didn't even, I mean, she walked around. It's like, oh, you guys again. (laughs) And when we saw her with four cubs, we about lost our shit. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, we had guys, all I could hear was guns cocking and bear spray safeties coming off. So, yeah, uh, I guarantee it. And, um, and Lama's going berserk. And she just walked around us like we were like a detour, like a traffic detour. Never even looked at us, never gave us any neck, never gave us any problem. She was coming straight down the trail. We were in buckbrush. There was no way to get off the trail. She went into the buckbrush and went right around us and then got right back on the trail behind us. Jeez. She did the routine. It was unbelievable. Thank you, Lord, baby Jesus. Unbelievable. Yeah, was unbe- I wasn't in the front, so I knew that I was probably, I knew that I wasn't going to get eaten, but um, I knew that a couple of the dudes in the front, you know, I'd have to probably shoot them and then run. Uh, but I knew I wasn't going to, I knew I was pretty safe because I was kind of in the middle with a bunch of llamas. Yeah. But the two dudes up front. <laughs> <laughs> they, they ran right into her. Yeah, what's that? Right into her on the trail. What's that saying? You don't gotta be quicker than a grizzly bear. You just gotta be quicker than your friend, yep. or something like that. <laughs> that's kind of what I was. That's kind of what I was saying. That's yeah, kind of or at least way. like filter the llamas up to the front and be like, "Hey, here they are." <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
So 14 river crossings later, 12 miles in, we can't turn up elk. We had a few bulls. We had a couple misses. We had, we had, a, we had some opportunities, but certainly what I wasn't thought it was going to be. So my point is we didn't lose hope. We had a backup plan already worked out. I already had it worked out. Now, fortunately, we packed out 12 miles, jumped in the rig, drove to a non-wilderness area, hiked another seven miles in, wolves everywhere. I mean, howling during the middle of the day, which I've never heard in my my experience. I know they do it, but I had not experienced it. Mm -hmm. Wolves howling 24-7, and elk were nowhere to be found. This place was a guarantee. The reason we went there is because I'd been there three years prior, and I killed three bulls in a row. So I knew it was a money spot. But it wasn't a money spot because things had changed. Wolves had moved in. It doesn't mean the elk aren't going to be there eventually. They just weren't there right then. So we packed seven miles out again. We went in seven miles. We spent one night, guys, and packed right back out. Yeah, We moved to a third spot. The snow comes. The mud is up to the, I mean, we're getting stuck in our vehicles. We are freaking, can't get the llama trailers out. We are buried up to the axles in mud. And we're in this area. We moved to this spot. Finally, in spot number three, we went into this spot. First bugle, boom. We almost killed a giant bull that night. Next morning we go in, kill a super nice six point next morning. But my point is we were three options into that hunt. I know that was a long-winded version. I want to, but I want people to understand the importance of this. If we'd have quit after the first one, we just went home and we'd have been nothing. Right. If we'd have quit after the second one, we'd have been the same result. But it took my third option out of five. I only had five on that trip and we were on number three. And I didn't kill bulls on that trip, personally. Mm-hmm. So we had three bulls down. We had killed three bulls, two bulls in the group. So we, the archery, we, well, we were done with this hunt, so we went back home. And then I drove, I come home. I've been gone for months. And my wife says, what happened? I'm like, well, I didn't get one. But, you know, we had, I called, I actually called that bull in that we actually killed. And just the way it works. He goes, well, you need to go back down there and fill that tag. <laughs> that was $1,600. <laughs> That's a okay. good wife right so there. I packed up my, she goes, quit, quit filling sorry for yourself. Drive back, go back down there and get it done. You're better solo anyway. So I went to my fourth option that I hadn't used yet. Went down there. 12 hours later, killed a bull, came out. There you go. And nine miles in, killed a bull, packed him out. Had two grizzlies try to take it from me while I was freaking skinning it um, and got it done. But I'm not saying this. I'm just saying that, man, I had to kiss a lot of frogs this year in Wyoming for some reason. And it's just the way it goes, guys. That's the way it goes. That's something. Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at finding out. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not the best at killing giant bulls, (laughs) but I'm pretty good at finding bulls. And I was on my fourth option before I finally killed my Wyoming bull. There was a lot of opportunities to quit. There was a lot of opportunities to give up. A lot of opportunities to say, well, it just ain't in the cards this year. 
Yeah. And but the perseverance, sticking it out, working working the hunt plan, sticking to my strategy, which I knew was solid, ended up paying off, right? So I know that was a long-winded version, but I think that's really important for your listeners that listen to podcasts just to get a little energy from there's a, sometimes, I mean, I've been hunting out for 30 years and with a bow, a little bit with a gun, but mostly bow. And when you're four hot areas into a punt plan, I wouldn't say you're, it's Hail Mary, but it's pretty damn close to Hail Mary. Yeah. And, um, you know, it can happen, but it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to be wet and tired and cold and you don't have options and you feel like you don't have options. But if you work out the strategy ahead of time and you get your ducks in a row and you have a plan and you work the plan, and you have something to look forward to, you don't get as discouraged. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense, yeah. And, I mean, and that you, you do that prior to going. That's not something you do no, while you're out there and you go, oh, start driving around. The field. Yeah. That's right. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I've been on a hunt and I've driven into a town to find Internet because I needed to download some new maps or I needed to – work something out so I could switch you know, there's like you just said, the Colorado guys is the freaking worst and it's the best. Okay. It's the worst in terms of total numbers of hunters, but it's the best in terms of they got more elk than any other state times two. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to get yourself mentally ready to deal with the invasion of non-resident hunters. <laughs> Yeah. that you're going to run into in Colorado. I mean, the good news about Colorado is it's turning into a bunch of um, granola eaters now. So um, <laughs> I'd say that in a nice way. You're not going to have to worry about too many resident elk hunters anymore because there's not going to be very many. Um, they're all going to be non-resident hunters. And uh, so you're just going to have me I say that kind of funny. but. <laughs> It's an it's it's an invasion of that state for elk hunting because they have over the counter tags. Uh-huh. You can buy them over the counter, and when everybody can't get in the other states, that's where they go. Where have you guys hunted the last um, five years? Has it been mainly Colorado, or has it been other places? It's been only Colorado. Yeah, and you know that's another thing. I was so you know add. exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah th- this last year that we went out there, we've seen more hunters this last year than we have the prior three years before that that i've been going combined combined probably probably i was gonna say probably combined right? yeah, yeah it really was it was i mean i'm it, sure it, covid had a lot to do it with was that, covid but. and they also had the deal with the fire so they shut some units down so that pushed a lot right. of other concentrated hunters. The yeah down. concentrated so i mean it was it was it was but you, guys, you know you can it's funny you said that because you can look at that two different ways i'm a guy i'm a guy that glass is half full i mean i just am i don't know if you can tell that but I think of that situation as a opportunity because the more elk hunters there are, I know this is going to be hard to choke down, but the more elk hunters they are, there are, the more predictable, predictable the elk will be. I get that. Yeah. Now, because then in my course, I talk about zones of pressure and I spend an entire freaking hour long module totally only talking about zones of pressure 
It is one of the number one things that Colorado hunters need to understand. Now, other states, not so much. The less hunters, the less pressure, the less the zones of pressure matter. But the more pressure, the more hunters, the more the zones of pressure matter. And you need to understand every trailhead where it's at, every campground, every dead-end road, every open road to vehicles. You need to understand those. You need to understand the buffer zones around them. You need to understand where these zones are that are outside of the normal reach of most of the hunters. If you start breaking it down like that, let the hunters work for you. It doesn't mean you've got to hike five or ten miles into the wilderness to kill an elk in Colorado. That is not the case. You just got to work that hunter pressure and analyze that pressure. And one thing you can be assured of, there's one guarantee in Colorado. There will be hunter pressure, like a lot of it. Yeah. That's not going to go down. It is not going to decrease. So actually, it's, you know, I say this in my course a lot, it's an odds multiplier. The more people that hunt Colorado, the more your odds increase if you do it right. Let them dictate to you where you're going to hunt. But if you're going to drive up to trailhead number A and you're going to park your car right alongside of the other 100 cars that are parked there, then you're just contributing to the, to the pressure. But if you're going to look at another way in, you're going to look at the side road, you're going to look at just parking alongside the road where there is no pressure, there is no trail, there is no access point at all, There's no, you're going to have to bushwhack for a half a mile to hit a trail, then you can maybe take a trail. You start looking, or you're going to have to cross a creek or a river, or you're going to have to cross this freaking god-awful Grand Canyon drainage to get over to this mesa, this beautiful-looking Those kinds of scenarios is what I'd be looking at in Colorado right now because you've got to work that pressure to your advantage. Yeah. Especially, especially if you're hunting one of the, one of the open seasons. I mean, one of the seasons that are um, unlimited, like archery. And I think it's second rifle. And is it third rifle? Second and third are open. I think I can first and fourth or draw, whatever the case may be. I, I don't want to say something that's not true, but, yeah, I'm pretty when sure third hunting, is for yeah. sure. I just don't remember the other one. Yeah, but we just go out. We just yeah, go when archery. You, when, you, when you hunt the over-the-counter areas and you hunt the over-the-counter seasons, you need to act like you're hunting the over-the-counter seasons. And if you think you're just going to drive up to the trailhead, you're going to march in, or you're going to outwalk. Let's say you're going to try to outwalk everybody else. Well, that's fine if you can outwalk everybody else and uh maybe that'll work out for you maybe it won't i'm thinking that your best bet your best money is working a strategy in analyzing the pressure where the pressure is going to come from and kind of looking for these pockets there's a reason colorado the, the hunting pressure on elk has not i mean it's been high lately but it's always been high and why do they have double the elk because they have the most amazing habitat. They have the most amazing, rugged country that these elk can get away from hunters. They've got some incredibly difficult country, Colorado does. And they, those elk have no problem avoiding a couple of guys from Missouri. No, no um, they don't. <laughs> they don't have any problem with that. And when you show up at Trailhead A, they have a plan. <laughs> 
and you need to you need to kind of get your mind around that plan. And uh, so anyway, I know it's kind of long winded, but it's a it's a strategy that works, uh, and it's a strategy that I employ every time I go to Colorado. I haven't I hunted Colorado two years ago. No, three years ago. No, yeah, two years ago. Quick story. My buddy had this spot. He kept telling me about. He has llamas too. We both have llamas. He's like, we got to go here. This is a really great spot. I'm like, okay. He says, now, Mark, I know how you are about hunter pressure. When we pull up to this trailhead, you're going to freak out. Don't freak out. When we, where we're going with our llamas, nobody's going to be there. I'm telling you, nobody's going to be there. I'm like, okay, I got you. I'm not going to freak out. We come around the corner of this trailhead. Dudes were staking their tents down in the road. <laughs> they literally had their hammers out trying to drive tent pegs into the gravel road because there was no room in this trailhead. This was a big trailhead, big. Mm-hmm. There was hundreds, hundreds of trucks oh my and trailers goodness. in this thing. I mean, if there wasn't 150 rigs in this unit, I, I mean, there had to have been. There's no way. It was muddy. People were stuck. It was a disaster. We had to park a half a mile away. Half a mile with a horse trailer. So we load up our llamas. We're hiking through the camps. I mean, these people are all sitting around fire. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, on opening morning, where where are all these guys going? I mean, are they all going together, like holding hands? Or what are are they going to do? And we hiked in. We did about eight miles in, I guess, which is a long way. I get it. But we went to an area with no water. It was on a mesa. There was not a ditch of of water. We packed all the water in for us and the llamas. We knew that ahead of time. He knew that ahead of time. And we were in there for 10 days. I never saw a person in 10 days. Oh, wow. And there was over 200 people at that trailhead. And we killed out. But the, the, the point is, we knew where we were going. We knew where the pressure was. We knew they would not go there because we knew they couldn't go there because there was no water. You couldn't backpack up there because you can't carry enough water. But we knew our llamas could carry all of our water, and um, we knew we could go there. And that's where the elk were. I mean, hundreds of elk. We saw hundreds of every day. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was picking and choosing which bull we wanted to shoot for the most part. Nice. That was incredibly dip- it was incredibly difficult terrain. It was a real bitch to get up there. It was a 3,000-foot climb in the mud, so it wasn't fun by any means. But once we got about four or five miles down that trail, that mud and that climb, we stopped seeing footprints. And everybody's hunting all them lowlands and the foothills and below this mesa. I'm sure they killed elk down there, all the masses of guys. I'm sure some of them did. But we had a plan, and what we worked the plan. Now, if you're in a backpack, that might not be a good place. I mean, just to be honest with you, it's not a good place. We had llamas. We knew what we were doing, and we made our plan accordingly. So you're going to want to do the same depending on what type you're going to hunt. If you're going to base camp hunt, meaning you're going to hunt from a vehicle, which a lot of guys do, nothing wrong with that. Do it from a strategic point. Don't do it from a trailhead or from a dead-end road or something where everybody else is going to be at, have some little bit of strategery in how you set it up. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get it. 
I think so, I think I mean, that's one thing we that's one thing we um, failed at last year a little bit was I mean we saw the pressure and then we would see these random cars just sitting there mm-hmm. you know and we didn't put two and two together until like day what four or whatever where we're like where are these elk why are we not seeing them where have they gone what can we do and then come to find out those random cars were guys backpacking up in the middle of where we wanted the elk to be. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't know it at the time, obviously, but it just finally clicked that that's where these guys are and that's why the elk yeah. aren't there anymore. And then it was a, I mean, I, you've probably been in that before. You're, you're kind of like, okay, where did they go then? What are the options they have? And uh, we never caught up to them, but... I mean, it happens, but, uh, and I, I think that's a good point is having multiple. So if you're going to go out West or you, your plan is to go out West, then start doing your homework, give yourself multiple options before going out. So if you're going to go to an OTC unit in Colorado, have several areas picked that you think five, yeah, five, like you at least you know, three, four, five, like Mid-Denver, you were saying earlier. Five. Yeah. Colorado guys is, is a pressure. It's a pressure cooker right now for elk. I will predict right now on your podcast that the days of the over the counter elk tag that Colorado are coming to an end. I wouldn't even be surprised if this next year is the last year. We've, we've de- talked because about that too. Yeah. They're getting so many, there's too many people doing it. And even Colorado, as much as I'm sure they like all that non-resident money, they're they're wearing out the resources. Like they're not putting the hurt on the elk. To be totally honest with you, those elk are having no problem staying away from hunters. They can't put a dent in the elk population. That's not the problem. It's the trails. It's the roads. It's the the illegal off-road vehicle use. It's the you know the trespassing. It's the because when you know when things get rough and people are struggling and they start, well, I don't want to stereotype, but in some cases people start deciding to do things they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I know I know a lot of that's happening, and I know the residents are not real keen on the invasion that's been happening. You know, in Montana, for example, where I live, I'm fine with it because. I know that there's 15,000, I don't know what the number is. There's a defined number of non-resident tags they get, and when it's done, it's done. We're always going to get that many hunters, no matter what. It's just, are they going to fill up day one, or are they going to be filled up by the season start? But by the opening of the season, there's going to be the max number of hunters in Montana. Okay, that's it. We know it. It's a guarantee. So it's just the way it is, and we can work with that. But what in Colorado, it's different because it's unlimited. You don't – that number is flexible. It could be how many tens of thousands. It could be whatever. And last year, like you said, with the COVID situation, I thought, like a dumbass, I would have thought I – I would have almost bet money. I hate to admit this, but I had almost that money. That it was going to go down. That it was going to go down. Me too. I said the same thing. 
That's what we were hoping for. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but it was the exact opposite. Yep. Yep. It was the exact opposite. So who am I to make predictions? But And, and it's not going to slow down in Colorado. It's just not. Now, guys, let's be honest. Colorado is a fantastic elk hunting state. I mean, it is a – I spent, of all my years hunting, before I moved to Montana, I never hunted any other state for 25 years. I hunted Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico because I had this thing. It was a stupid thing, but I had this thing where I couldn't drive through a state that had elk to get to another state that had elk. (laughs) So when I left Missouri, as soon as I got into elk country, I started hunting. So I never even made it that far west in Colorado, to be totally honest. I hunted around Glenwood Springs a lot. I hunted down by Gunnison some. I mean, just around, you know, just around that kind of that corridor. And um, yeah, a little bit up in the Flathead, maybe a few times, like northern Colorado a little bit. And then Wyoming, I never made it past Saratoga, Encampment, Laramie. I never made it out to like the Yellowstone area. I never hunted in Grizzly country until I moved here to Montana. Because, man, I love elk hunting. I didn't want to drive. I didn't want to spend any more time driving than I had to. <laughs> You're ready to get so, out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was just, dumb. But. Yeah. Well, logistically, you know, you got to, you only get a certain amount of days that you can go out there. So you want to make the most of it and you want to hunt as much as you can. So instead of taking that extra day or whatever it be to travel, you took it and went hunting. You know, I mean, you know, kind of the same situation we are. We It's 14 hours, somewhere around there, 14, 16 hours yeah. to drive. Which is why a lot of people choose Colorado because right, for Midwesterners, it's the closest. Yeah. That's uh, right. That's right. But if I had to, but I will say this, if I had to do it over again, you know, you were asking for some advice for something a new guy. If I had to do it over again, I think I would have changed my philosophy on that because not that I didn't love Colorado and Wyoming, but here's the deal. If you really want to get into elk hunting, like you guys, you guys are probably already doing this, but if you, you guys, I can already tell. You're, you're in it to win it when it comes out kind of you're already you've already kind of swallowed the bug i mean you're you're in it now so i can tell you're hooked on it so you need a strategy and your strategy probably is already this but you can get a idaho an idaho a good idaho elk tag maybe not every year but every couple years because this year was unbelievable so I've always bought my Idaho tags, um, oh May, June, April. Even I even bought a second tag after August first a couple of times. This year, all the tags sold out on December first. Oh my goodness! Opening day of the prior year. So all of the 2021 tags sold out December 1st of 2020. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. So I think that's a sign of things to come. Yeah. So Idaho, you can get attacked, and there's some quality elk hunting. Now, it's a drive for you guys, no doubt about it, uh, if you're going to drive. Montana, you've been able to draw a tag every year, if not every other year, until this year. I think this year is going to change, personally. I don't know that for sure, but based on what happened in Idaho and all the people that didn't draw last year, 
in in Montana. I had several non-resident Missouri friends, several that didn't draw in Montana last year on the first, you know, with no points. So Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and Colorado, in my opinion, people are going to kill me for saying this, those are your four states to rotate. If you rotate those states, if you apply in those states every year and get your points, now Idaho's a random draw, so there's no points there. But mm-hmm. in these other states, you're getting a point in Wyoming, you're getting a point in Montana, your your backup option is always Colorado, you'll hunt elk every year. And you'll not only hunt elk every year, you won't have to hunt Colorado every year. You'll be in Colorado like once every three or four years if you keep that strategy. And you work that circuit. And if you just keep working that circuit. And the great thing about Idaho is that if you do the draw, if you decide not to go for one of the you know regional tags and you decide to do the draw, the draw deadline isn't till June sometime. So you'll know if you've drawn your Wyoming tag. You'll know if you've drawn a Montana tag. You'll know if you'll know some things before the deadline in 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 Idaho. So you should look into that and start thinking about the strategy of when you have to put in, when they notify you of when you get drawn or not drawn, and work your strategy accordingly. I wish I would have done that in my early days. If I could go back and give people advice based on some failures that I did, I got tunnel visioned mm-hmm. in Colorado because I was always like, I'll just buy a tag and go to Colorado. And it's a 15-hour, 16-hour drive, like you just said. It was You could do it in a day. But I think I missed out some when I was younger. I do. And we're in the and exact I, same I would, boat. I mean, we... I would give people advice to not do what I did even though I love Colorado, I, I, man, you kill elk in Colorado, you've done something. You have done something. And there's something to that. But I wish I'd have saw a little bit more, you know, and expanded my horizon a little. So that's why I'm passing along now. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the bit of advice we'd like. We, we would mirror the exact same thing you said because we, we made the same mistake as you my first five years and the group's last 10 years or whatever, um, we've gotten for lack of a better term, fat and happy because where we had been going was OTC and was working well for us, but we weren't looking forward for, okay, well what happens when it doesn't work well? And we, we hadn't been putting in, uh, even in Colorado, we, we should have been, building points for a, a draw unit exactly but we weren't exactly we weren't putting in yeah. for um like you know other states like wyoming or arizona were a couple that guys had talked about we had never put in a new mexico which is a pure lottery and we had never done any of that and now the last two years have been pretty shitty as far as hunting goes and we're sitting here going we're at square one we are at square one. Yeah. We have zero points in Colorado. We have zero points in Wyoming. We got zero points in Arizona. We've never even put in in New Mexico to know where to put in. And so we're doing a lot of work now to, to rectify that and at least start the process in other places. But now we're behind the eight ball. So if, yep. if you're going to start right. going out, even if your first year is, hey, I want to go to Colorado and I'm going to go to OTC, great, do it. But start picking, put those, buy, even if it's just buying points, 
buy points, right? And and pick another some state states, to do the now, same some thing. Some states you can buy points. Some states you have to apply for the tax. Correct. Yeah. Um, so you got to make sure you understand some of that. Like you know, you mentioned Arizona, and I got oh my god, I'm a bit, I don't even want to tell you how many points I have. Twenty six. <laughs> I have a lot. I wish no, I, no. I wish I had twenty six. <laughs> yeah, I bet you would too. That's I think. Well, actually, I think I think that's above max point actually, but. Um, and uh, so with the problem in Arizona, I'm just going to tell you right now in Arizona, I would not, oh, I hate to say this. I'm not sure I'd apply in Arizona if I was just getting started because the point creep is enormous in Arizona. It is so out of control that every year, almost every decent unit, now not every, but almost every decent unit, if you look at it close, Mm -hmm. This year it takes five. Next year it takes six. Next year it takes seven. Next year it takes eight. If you're just starting, you're never going to draw a tag. And when I say this, I mean never in your lifetime. So what happens is Arizona realized that. Now I'm speaking for Arizona here. This is a whole. This is Mark Livesey talking. I think what Arizona did was they're like, oh shit, people are going to stop applying to Arizona because. They're going to wise up, and they're going to realize they're never going to draw a tag. Now, we're not going to tell them that they're never going to draw a tag, and we're not going to tell them that the point creep – we're never going to publish a single thing about point creep, which they never have to my knowledge. Do you know what point creep is, right? There's so many people that are applying that the next year takes one more point than the previous year, and it just perpetuates. The snowball will get bigger than the year snowball. Arizona Game and Fish are never going to tell you that. Because they love that application money. They live off that application money. Mm-hmm. They probably make more money on application dollars than they actually do on tag dollars. How weird is that? Oh. So, like, like the kibob or the kebab or whatever, they, however they pronounce it, deer tags. There's actually no chance of ever drawing one of those tags. In your lifetime. If you start drawing right now, you're not going to draw it if you live to be 80. There's too many people that have points. Unless something changes and everybody just drops out. Now, don't quote me on this because, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of talking about school here. But the point is, is there's so many people that have so many points that it is virtually impossible to draw some of these super, super premium tags in Arizona. So what happened was Arizona decided that they had to do something, so they screwed all the point holders, and they decided to take a certain percentage of their tags and make them random. 80% of them. Well, it's not that high, but uh, I think it's – maybe it's 50 and some – maybe it's 50, but it's not 80. But I don't think. Maybe you're right. But the point is they took a considerable number of tags, right? Mm-hmm. And they took them out of the point pool. How would you like to have 25 points and then be told that, well, yeah, we're changing the rules? Yeah. We, I invested t- in, in Arizona. you got to buy a hunting license. So buying points in Arizona is no joke. It's oh, a $200 ordeal. Every year. Yep. It's more than a 200 every single year for 25 years. And then you're told – yeah, we're going to change the rules. I know we told you that the rules are going to be this, but now we're going to start doing random draws. 
so that we can get more people to apply, so that people feel like they've got a chance to draw a tag. So when you look at the draw odds and you see this greater than, or I'm sorry, less than 0.01% odds, you're like, well, I got a chance. <laughs> well, you also got a chance to win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then why, why not take a chance to win the lottery and then just buy a governor's tag <laughs> for $300,000? Right. I mean, I'm not trying to tell people not to. That's not my point, but make sure that you look at the draw odds and that you look at the point creep before you decide to get in the game in Arizona and some of these other states, Nevada, Elk, Arizona's bad. I mean, to be honest, even some of the premium draws in Oregon are getting pretty bad with this. Mm. And um, so if I was a new hunter coming to the game, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I was not invested for a 25-year ordeal, I would focus on the states I just told you. Montana. Huh, I shouldn't say my own state. My people are going to hate me. But <laughs> Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming. Those states are three- to four-year draws, almost like clockwork, almost guaranteed. And in a nice rotation, you're hunting. You can hunt multiple states every year. You can hunt two of those states every year if you work it right. And... Um, and then, if you want to throw in, I always throw in New Mexico. Why not? Right. It's a random yeah. draw. Yeah. It's a lottery. There's no points. If you're not applying in Arizona and you're an elk hunter, you're an idiot. Um, and I'm sorry I just said that because you're going to decrease my draw odds, but it took me 21 years. So the last tag I drew in New, Me- in New Mexico was 21 years ago. And I've been applying every year. And... Now, I applied for some hard units, but mm-hmm. I finally drew one, that, drew one this year. 21 years it took me to draw it. <sighs> that was a long that was a long. I'll tell you what, though. you really got us you got, you got us scratching our heads because we actually – We just, had a meeting last <laughs> night yep, we about did. what states we're putting in for and things like that. So and we, Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you guys are thinking that because – well, except I'm except reading. we decided on uh, we decided we would put it start putting in for points or units in Colorado like we should have been all along, and yeah, we're gonna sure. we're gonna put in for New Mexico, and then we sure, decided sure. we're we decided we're gonna have a seven to ten year plan for Arizona, but now we're, hey, no. <laughs> no here's no don't don't change here's I'm gonna retract a little bit here, there are some units in Arizona okay there are some a good one. Not bad at all. I, I don't need a 400-inch bull. You know, like, I don't well, need but those. There, but seven, there are a lot of seven-year units. There are a lot of five- to nine-year units in Arizona. But it's not Unit 27. It's not Unit 9. Right. It's not Unit 10. It's not Unit 1. It's not Unit 23. It's not those units. <laughs> right. But five west, seven, I think seven whatever fives and sevens and there's some really good units especially if you do some like you know it's funny you say this but archery tags now are almost as premium as the rifle tags yeah um as far as draw odds so it used to always be well if you go archery your odds are way better well not so much anymore a little better but maybe not as much as you think so i i'm not saying you should discount 
Arizona. I'm just saying, know what you're getting into. Be realistic on the units you want to go for. And go to, I mean, honestly, I don't like to promote a lot of services, but GoHunt.com has a really good draw-odd schedule that shows the numbers of the points it took for the last three years. Mm-hmm. And so what you can compare is in 2017, it took this many. In 2018, it took this many. And if you see it creeping, you got to plan for that, right? Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. And then, and then you can also go to several resources and look for the number of people that have seven points or more that are applying in that unit. If you see 10,000 people, I'm just making this up, but if you see 10, that's a crazy number, but let's say 5,000 people are applying for a unit that gives out 100 tags and they've got all of them have more than seven points, you're hosed. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Because those seven people, those, all those 5,000 people that have seven points, now, there's a lot of assumptions here. Let's assume they're always applying for the same unit. There's a lot of assumptions here, but they're never going to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And even, even the you're lottery. Never, at 100 tags a year, at 100 tags a year, you're never going to fill all those people. Yeah. So that's the, point, that's the whole thing about point creep is to make sure you just understand the kind of everything that goes with that. I don't mean, I hate to almost, it sounds like I'm trying to be negative about this, but I think the main reason I'm saying this is because as a new hunter, and that's what we talked about in this podcast we wanted to reach, don't worry so much about that yet. Now, you guys are in the game now for five years. You've been hunting out. Now you're thinking a little like you should have been thinking year one, but you're getting it. You're slow. You guys are slow, but you're getting it. Yeah. Um, You'll have to forgive my friend. He's a little slow. <laughs> yeah. But now, but look, you guys are you guys are getting your strategy together. You even had a you even had a meeting about it. <laughs> We've had two of them already. And yeah. um, so you're right. New Mexico is a guarantee. I mean, not a guarantee, but you go for it. You're in the boat with everybody else. Same with Idaho. I think. Oh man, I'm going to get grief on this, but Idaho draw units are the most underrated in the whole country, in my opinion, because of a couple things. Number one, it's a lottery, just like New Mexico, so you don't have to worry about points. You just put in like everybody else. But number two, you cannot put in in Idaho for moose, sheep, or goat and elk and deer. You have to choose elk and deer or moose, sheep, and goat. So I really love that. So the guys that want to go after some of these kind of, you know, I don't want to call them upper level, but whatever. You want to go for moose, sheep, or goat, you can't apply for elk and deer. If you want to go for elk and deer, you can't apply for moose, sheep, and goat. So what it does is it drops the draws a little bit. No, I'm sorry, increases the draws a little bit. Right. So Idaho draw, now I'm not talking about the, over-the-counter tags that go for sale on December 1st. I'm talking about the draw tags that become available in June. You can start applying like in June. And um, there's a limited number of units. They're called control units. And you have to apply. They're a little different. They're not a general tag. You don't. You can't apply for one tag and then hunt rifle and bow. You have to apply for like an A tag or a B tag 
A tags are generally more archery specific. Sometimes there's some exceptions, but for the most part, more archery specific. And the B tags are more rifle specific. And, um, well, I'm sorry, that's not true. I just totally said that wrong. That's the regional tags are A and B. The draw tags are specific to the unit and the type of weapon. So, um, that makes sense, but my point. Yeah, my point is that, that Idaho is a no-point state, and you've got the same chance as anybody else, and it's a late-in-the-year draw, so you know your results from a lot of other states before you even have to apply. So it's a great opportunity. And, you know, I don't want to call it a Hail Mary, but it's a great opportunity. Like, for, last, for example, last year, I drew five elk tags. I had five elk tags by May. I knew that I had five elk tags. So my wife said to me, she goes, honey, is that enough elk tags? I'm like, yeah, but it is. Are you putting in for any more elk tags? I said, well, actually the Idaho deadline is coming up in June. And I said, I promise I'm going to put in for the hardest tag to draw in Idaho. And if I draw it, it'll be a miracle, baby. It'll be a miracle. And, uh, she didn't like it, but I didn't draw it either, so that was good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you definitely uh, – we might have to have a, a third a third meeting here soon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because, uh, I mean – Well, I don't know if I – it's worth looking into, and your audience that's listening to this podcast and all this chitter-chat we've been doing, I hope, all, I hope that it just spurs people to just look a little deeper than – how many points did it take this year? Oh, it took five points this year. Well, that means in five years I'm going to draw that tag. No, that's not what it means. Now, that's what it could mean. But that's not what it might mean. Yeah. Depending on the number of people that have five points or more. Yeah. Does, am I, is that? No, I know that nope, that makes like, complete sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it could take 10 okay. points okay. Yeah. at your the, five for you. By the time you get to where by you're, the, yeah. Exactly, by, yeah. Okay, by the time you get to five, everybody that has five now will have 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, for, for the guys that are actually just, as far as Arizona goes, for the guys that are just starting out kind of like us with zero points, them going to a percentage of the lottery while it still doesn't give you a great chance because the guys with 20 or you know 10 points it's a weighted lottery so right they get you know their 10 points plus the point that year so they get 11 entries to year 1 so i mean it's still not you know kinda, a pure kinda, lottery yes. but uh exactly it's a little bit weighted and let me just ah oh man i don't want to i don't want to discourage anybody from Arizona but if you're going to apply in Nevada and you have a goal to hunt Nevada, Utah, the premium, when I say Utah, Utah has a lot of, quote, over-the-counter tags, but they're premium units, the Idaho, I mean, I'm sorry, premium units in Utah, Nevada, Arizona, a few other places, you really got to know what you're doing before you get in that game because it's going to be, it could be a long process. It's going to be an expensive process, which might be okay. I mean, it, I, I made the decision a long time ago that I love elk hunting, guys. I love it. I, I'm i not going to say I live for it because I live for a lot of other things besides elk hunting, but I do love elk hunting. 
So I knew that a certain amount of my annual income was going to be dedicated to elk hunting. And I spend, I apply in seven, eight states, nine states a year for elk. And I know it's going to cost me multiple thousands of dollars every year. I budget it. I plan for it. I cringe, but I know, I know that's what I'm in for. I just know it. So I want people to understand that that's what you have to accept, that that's just what it is. And if, if you're going to play that game, you got to run the numbers. And, you know, in 10 years, you draw a tag. It's going to cost you $1,000 for the tag plus 10 years of drawing. The tag's going to be $3,000 by the time, maybe 30, whatever it's going to be, depending on hunting licenses, et cetera, et cetera. Different states do different things. But it's going to be multiple thousands of dollars before you draw that tag. Yeah. And that's not a problem for a lot of people, but it might be a problem for some. And I think a lot of people, I'm just going to throw in Arizona. I'm going to plan on the random draw. I'm going to count on the random draw, and then they get disappointed. And now you could. I mean, just like you could win the lottery. You could buy the Mega Millions tomorrow, and you could win that thing. So a lot of states have done this because people were, were dropping out. The reason they did it was because they, they didn't, I mean, I'm just going to, I hate to be ugly here, but they didn't do it to help the non-resident hunters. Okay. They did it to keep they you didn't. hooked. <laughs> they did it to keep that freaking draw money coming in. Yeah. So they threw out a little bit of false hope, to be totally honest with you. A little bit of, uh, you know, we'll throw out a tag every so often. And some dude will post some testimonial, some story about who drew that tag. And it'll keep everybody, it'll keep tens of thousands of people putting in for these tags. And we'll be able to collect their their hunting license fee because we know they're never going to come here and hunt, hunt anything. And we'll keep their, their application money. And it's just, the, it's the price of elk hunting. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unfortunate truth. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, so I've been hunting out for 30 years, like I said, you know, and I haven't been putting in for Colorado, for uh, New Mexico, sorry, Arizona. I've not been putting in for Arizona the whole time, but a lot of that time, <laughs> and I have never drawn an Arizona tag yet in 30 years. So it's one state that I have not hunted yet. Wow. Now I'm going to have a big, I'm going to have a big party. Um, someday when I do draw it and now again, I want to be clear. I have not been putting in for the whole 30 years. Cause it was like you, you guys, I did not decide to even go for Arizona until later in my, you know, career. So right. that makes sense. It's not, it's not like I, I don't have, I do not have 30 points in Arizona. I wish I did. Um, but here's another thing. I'll throw this out there while we're talking about it. My son is 12 this year. I have a 12-year-old son, and I just took him to hockey tonight, and we just had a conversation in the car on the way home. And I said, dude, I need to know, are you in it to win it here with these tags? He's getting his hunter safety finished up and everything else. I bought him a suppressor, and we're getting his gun. He, he killed a mule deer this year, 460 yards. I mean, the dude's really getting in it now, you know, and uh, he's 12. And I'm like, dude, you're so lucky that I'm in the game now. I know the I know the deal. <laughs> so I'm ready I'm ready to get you in. He already has points in some state. 
And I'm like, you're getting ready to enter this new realm of possibility, but I need to know, are you, I'm not spending the money if you're not in it to win it here. Because you're in, I've got your application ready for six states this year. You could draw three of these freaking states. It's possible. So, especially with youth tags, and, and they got a little better odds in some states, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you ready to hunt elk in three states? Because, I mean, the last thing I want is to have not a New Mexico freaking elk tag, and you say, I'm not going. <laughs> I'll be one. Because they don't give you that money tag. back. <laughs> <laughs> you One, you'll probably be killed. Um, uh, I mean, if you survive that, that'll be a miracle itself. But so no, he's like, you know, but it's so funny now that I've been in this business for so long. I know the game and now I'm getting him in it at 12. How cool would it have been if you would have been 12 and your dad would have said, Hey, I'm going to, by the time you're 18, you got like six points in Arizona. Oh my God. It would have been like a freaking dream come true. Oh yeah. And and some of these draws are super cheap for youth. So you can earn all these points when they're young at way reduced cost. Um, so anyway, I don't know. You know, Maybe some of your people are listening that have kids or thinking about it. Now's the time, um, if that's your thing. So Yeah. Well, to tie it all back into um... – back into kind of what you what you do for the person that's kind of trying to get themselves make the decision to do it and when they make that decision the the work starts tie that all back into treeline academy and what what your class does to um to kind of help a person prepare not only uh where they want to go but then how to figure out you know what to do once they decide they're going well, I mean, I didn't say, but I mean, I, I'm not very good at self. I mean, you would think I would be like the world's greatest <laughs> self promoter, but I mean, I'm I'm not that great at it, to be honest. My wife keeps telling me I need to get better at it. But um, here's the deal I've been hunting elk for 30 years, like we've been talking. I moved to Montana five years ago. Coming from Missouri, like you guys, I had no choice, I had to get decent at finding elk coming from the Midwest, or I was going to have no chance. I mean, the hunters that live here, like now that I live here and can experience it, it's laughable. I'm telling you, it's laughable, the advantage that I have over you guys. Because in Montana, I had dinner with some dudes just last night, night before last. What did we do the whole time? Talk about elk hunting. Where are you hunting? What's up? What about these draws? What about that? What about this? And what about these special tags for this? And what about this this here? And why are you doing this? I mean, it's nonstop out here. Right. And so in Missouri, you guys are like, you have no clue, really. You have 10 days. And so, <laughs> so people that live here, and I'm one of them now, thank goodness, but we have such an advantage over the non-resident but my passion though to get to your question is my passion is the non-resident because there's a couple things about me that we haven't talked about and this is really the reason for the class number one in all of my years of elk hunting 
I have only hunted the same areas a couple of times. That's hard to believe. But like I heard you guys talking, you had this area you keep going back to, you like, and you got used to it. That's a huge advantage. But that's not my style. I'm an explorer. I'm an adventurer. I can't, I can't go back to the same places. I've got this place. I've got this one field. I, we call, everybody call you know, the, the people that I've taken there, we kind of call it the killing field. <laughs> and there's just one spot. I mean, we've just called in, killed somebody. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just like a weird anomaly in the elk hunting world. And I've only been twice. I've sent a bunch of people there. <laughs> they've killed elk. And, but I, everybody's like, why don't you just go back there? I'm like, I don't want to go back there. Because there's so many of the, oh, I, I'm the grass is greener, dude. There's like, well, there's all these, I'm 55 years old. There's these places, this place, this place, this place that I haven't been yet. So I, I was kind of the same way in Missouri. So I guess kind of making a roundabout here is that coming from Missouri out west is challenging enough. But changing locations every freaking single year just makes it even more complicated. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. So over those years, I developed a pretty unique, I think unique, and a pretty good ability to find elk. It's because I had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of planning. I had to do just a lot of work that a lot of dudes don't have. They know where they're going. Like you guys, I'm assuming, I'm just guessing. I don't know you guys all that well, Nate and Micah, but I'm assuming if you guys have been going to the same place every year, you just know that you're going to roll out there. You're pretty familiar with it already. You've been there. You don't have to do a lot of work. You might look at your map and get a little idea, maybe some new areas. You could branch out and kind of look here and there. But for the most part, you kind of know where they all have been, where they traditionally have been, where they hang out, and you're kind of working that strategy. Is that kind of correct? Generally, yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and that's a, honestly, that's a better strategy than mine. Okay. You're going to kill more elk doing what you guys do than what I do. As I said on zero. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, but the point is, if you're changing spots every single year, you're like a you know, you're brand new. You're rolling out there brand new every year. Right. But I love that. I love that adventure. But I guess what my point is, is that it really forced me to hone my skills. Um, does that make sense? It really forced me to develop some tactics and some strategies that could help me develop a new area. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at the time. When I was doing it for all those years, I don't think I realized kind of how I was doing it or the process I was using. It was just something I just started doing. I never reduced it to writing. I never like thought about it as a, um, as a process. I just like, that's just what I do. I, I order maps. I draw circles around trailheads. I do a two mile circle around trailheads and dead ends. I do a one mile buffer on every road. I start looking for overlapping circles, and then I start looking for elk finding features in these areas. And if I see a total of five or more elk finding features, I start saying, oh, that place is interesting. I don't look for just north slopes. I look for five or more features. And when I started seeing these reoccurring five or more features, I like started just drilling in on these certain spots. Now, that's a real quick just 
you know, summary of kind of a process. But yeah. I slowly developed this, but I didn't even realize, guys, in the beginning that I was even doing it. It's just something I developed over all those years. Well, when I moved out here, I retired from my business. I still have my business in Missouri, still actually running. But when I came out, I stepped away from it. And I decided that I wanted to give back to the non Honestly, I want to give back to the non-resident hunters. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but I'm, like, I'm just going to put out some articles. I wrote some articles for Go Hunt, several articles for Go Hunt. I wrote a, I had an out, article on Outdoor Live. I've done some blogs. I've done some YouTube. I've done a few podcasts in the early days before my course. Just, you know, pass along some whatever wisdom from 30 years of elk hunting. A lot of successes, a lot of failures, you know, whatever. Well, then it kind of started hitting me that um, I really had this process of breaking down areas and how to find places where the elk are going to want to be um, in general. Now, not every time, not guaranteed. There's no guarantees in elk hunting, let's just be clear. But trying to increase my odds. I wanted to take my odds from 10% success to 100% success, okay? Well, that's not, <laughs> that's not easy to do. To kill an elk every year, whether you're a resident or a non-resident, is not that easy to do. And in order to get close to that, and nobody's ever going to be 100% forever, but it, I wanted to be as close to that as I possibly could. And so I knew there was a strategy to this, and so when I met Ryan Lampers, I don't know if you guys know Ryan Lampers. This dude's a giant killer. I mean, let's just be honest. The dude is like one of the best hunters that I have ever met on any level. And he did a podcast at my house with the Gritty Bowman. He was called call, he was called the Gritty Bowman back then. Now yeah. BrianCall.com. He did a podcast at my house, and I got really got a chance to really meet and become friends with Brian and Ryan. And then a couple years later, um, Brian and I are talking about e-scouting, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm going to have these summits, and I'd like for you to come and speak at the summit. And I'm like, oh, ooh, I was really intimidated. I'm, I'm a Missouri boy. I'm going to be talking to Western dudes about killing elk. I mean, so I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell them what I do. So I rolled into the summit, gave a two-hour presentation on e-scouting, and it was a huge hit. I got so much feedback. It was so great. I felt so humbled. But it was just—it was empowering. And I was like, you know, I need to do something more than that. So I started recording some YouTube stuff. Two hour guys, two to two and a half hour YouTube videos on these guys. I'm like, who's going to watch this crap? And um, but people were watching it. And then I realized YouTube was not the answer because I couldn't organize it. I couldn't get it into chapters. I couldn't have text with it. I couldn't, I just couldn't make it like a course. So right, to speak. right. And that's really why I ended up creating the Tree Nine Academy course. And so now my vision is I've created this e scouting elk masterclass now that's really specific to finding elk, probably more archery than rifle, but I'm just now finishing the late season rifle module. I think it's pretty freaking good. I think it's. Personally, I think it's one of the best modules in the course. Because um, now that I've moved west, guys, Montana's a general state, you know, so you can hunt archery and gun with the same tag. And I just told you about kind of my strategy. I hunt a lot of states. 
So sometimes I don't even get the chance to hunt my home state until rifle season. So I've started rifle hunting in the last five years, like on a level that I never did before, just because of the opportunities that I've got now that I didn't have then. So my point is I'm trying to turn Treeline Academy into a resource for hunters of different, like I'm getting ready to do a mule deer course. Well, I'm a pretty good mule deer hunter, but I'm certainly not an expert. I'm not even close to an expert. So I'm going to bring in the experts, and I'm going to partner with their knowledge, with my technical abilities, with mapping and Google Earth, and I'm going to merge all of their mule deer. I'm going to extract all of their mule deer hunting expertise. For example, like Ryan Lampers, I'm going to extract all of his mule deer hunting expertise and then some of the technical aspects that I use in the elk course to make a mule deer course and a bear course. I'm, I'm Now that I'm out here, I'm like crazy about bear hunting too. That's like my number two. So I'm, I, my plan is to do a bear course and a mule deer course to kind of complement the elk course. But I, I decided that I kind of want to make Treeline Academy and turn it into a resource for information. Because let's face it, in the hunting industry, guys, there has not been courses or information like this ever available in every other industry like photography and filmmaking and leadership and management and i don't know what you guys work what in what field you're in but there's all kinds of online learning opportunities right in all of these core disciplines right yeah so, i mean there's it's almost too many and it's it, exactly it's infinitum but what's available in the hunting industry Virtually nothing. I can think of two. There's podcasts. There's a, some YouTube stuff. There's a few things here and there, but there's no like courses or no curriculums or no no information depositories, so to speak. There hasn't been that, and I don't really know why. Other than Elk 101 was one of the first ones, and, and Corey Jacobson, he was really the my mentor. I took his course just to see what it was like. And he did even make, if you want to learn how to elk hunt, I hate to even promote somebody else. I should be promoting my course, right? <laughs> um, that's the course. I mean, he does a great job. Fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Covering all the aspects of elk hunting to gutless method, to strategies, to calling techniques, to gear. But it was a little, I felt like for me, it was a little short when it came to, how to find elk on a high level. And so when I created this course, I strictly, I'm sticking to things that I know. I'm not trying to be something that I'm not. I'm not trying to teach something that I don't know anything about. I know a little bit about how to find elk, and that's what this course is about, is how to find elk using digital methods. And for Eastern guys, in my opinion, it's gold. It cuts the learning curve to like, I don't even know what level. I'm a, I don't know if you guys, if you guys, I don't know if you guys even looked at it yet, but I'm going to send you guys two codes so you guys can check it out. But because I'd love to hear, I love feedback from Midwestern guys, and yeah, it's all it's almost thirty hours of training. I mean, it's hard to imagine that you could talk or present a course for thirty hours on East County. But it, I can tell you that I I leave no stone unturned. I I share every single thing that I do. I do not keep any secrets. 
I do not like not tell certain things. There's a couple things in there. Like there's a couple Google Earth techniques that I share in this course that I do not did not want to do. <laughs> I'm like, this hurts giving I, this one like, away. This is my. This is kind of my. I, I mean, you know how guys like they got like their trademark thing or whatever. They got this certain thing they do. Uh-huh. There's a couple things in Google Earth, especially when it comes to glassing, that I feel like I have this huge advantage over everybody else. And I was like, I didn't want to do it. And <laughs> I wasn't even going to put a glassing module in the course. I wasn't even going to put it in there. And uh, I did it, you know, in the end. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I put my heart and soul in this thing. And uh, anyway, I think it's really good. And uh, But, you know, I always tell everyone, you can be the judge. It has a 30-day money out there. I mean, you can try it. If you don't like it, you email me. Tell me you want your money back. I give it back, no questions asked. I, but we, I mean, it hasn't happened. I've had one dude, <laughs> and it was maybe he could not. The dude couldn't even use his computer. I felt so bad for him. He tried so hard. He tried so hard, but he couldn't figure out his browser. He couldn't figure out even play the video. And I was like, I'm like, dude, I know you want to take it. I said, but I don't think it's for you. I said, I don't want to. I'm not going to keep your. I'm going to refund if you somehow you figure it out down the road. You just let me know. And I'll comp your course for you. But for now, I think it's just something you need to maybe not think about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just but another way for people one. to, you know, if they've decided they want to go elk hunting, it's just, it's, if you, I don't know, if it, you only eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So That's right. it's, it's another way, it's, 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 it's a way to start learning and figuring out how you're going to approach things while you're figuring out where I'm going to go, what am I going to take, you know, all the, the logistical side, and then how am I going to find elk? Yeah. And, so, I mean, if you could, yeah. if somebody was real smart and they're from the Midwest or whatever. Super smart. Super smart. They would take your class or course, whatever you want to call it, and they would take the elk 101. And that would cover, exactly. that I would mean, cover a lot of bases. A lot of I'm not in the business of promoting other people's stuff like I told you, but I can't help it because it is good. Right. And, you know, and, you know, maybe he's going to come out with something that compete against me. I don't care. It really, you know, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I didn't get in this to be in a business. I already have a business and I kind of wanted to be retired, to be totally honest. And now I've got this kind of new energy and this new passion for this this learning platform. And so I don't know, I don't know what happened to me, but um, <laughs> I've loved every second of making this course. And not only is it a course, it's way, it's kind of gotten beyond that because every module has a discussion forum in it. So like I had so many, I had three or four questions just today about some Google earth stuff. Guys were, were asking questions about some things. And one dude, I mentioned how to convert slopes. We were talking about converting slopes from degrees to percentage and vice versa because these different platforms like Gaia and Google Earth and Onyx and CalTopo and some of these various platforms that we talk about in the course talk in terms of percent. Mm-hmm. Some talk in terms of degrees. Well, they're radically different radically different and a lot of guys think they're the same i i'll be honest when i first started hunting i'm not sure that i understood that they were quite a bit different and it's almost double not quite double but almost 
So when you say a slope is 45 degrees, I mean, 45%, sorry, 45, see, I mean, get confused talking about it. 45, 45%, it's going to be 20 something degrees. And, um, and the reason I say that, that's a, it's not a big part of the course. I don't want to say that, but it's a significant factor in finding elk is elk prefer certain degrees of slope. They just do. Yeah. And so when you're anal- when you're analyzing an area, you want to look at the degrees of slope. And there's tools, there's techniques that you can do, and tools that you can use to help you do that. And a lot of guys don't even know that stuff exists. Hmm. It go up. They look at a slope. They look at contour lines. And, you know, well, the contour lines are close together, so that means it's steep. <laughs> and if the contour lines are spaced out, well, that means it's not so steep, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like topography map, you know, contours. And that's about the extent to a lot of guys' understanding of slope. And I don't want to diminish it, but that's a fact. So when you start delving in what's a 20-degree slope, what's a 25 degree, what's a 15 degree, there are some overlays that you can do that have shading, color shading, to show you these various degrees so you can see predominantly, like in this big basin, let's say you're thinking about this big basin. There's this big, nice, north-facing spoon basin, no trail in the bottom. It's got benches up at the three-quarter of the way up the slope. It's got all these features that we like. And we really want to see what's the slope degree in here. What, what's the overall average of the slope degree? Well, there's several tools that you can use to kind of analyze these basins. And so the question was, I'm kind of long-winding this, but the questions were, what conversion tables do you use to convert them? And I mentioned it in the course that I was going to include the links in the text below. Well, I forgot to put the freaking links in. I just put this module out. And I forgot to put it in. Well, this dude called me out on it in the discussion. He said, hey, I'm going through this, and I can't find the links. And I was like, oh, crap. That's because I didn't give it to you. (laughs) Because I didn't give them to you. So I went back and put them in. But what's great about that is that everybody that's in that module right now has the benefit of the discussion I just had with this dude, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And because it's it's a open, it's not an email to me. It's not a direct email to me that nobody sees. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's available for everyone to see, so they get the benefit of the question and the answer. So it's kind of like a forum, and, uh, and I and I fixed the text. You know, I fixed it after that. But so it's kind of like a forum, so anyway, somewhat. It's kind of a forum, but it's specific to that module. Gotcha. There's 30 modules in the course, and this one was a Google Earth. Using Google Earth, you know, advanced, based, I don't know what the name is, it's advanced Google Earth tactics. And we got into slope analysis. And so that question was in the discussion area within that module. So it's not just a wide open, I don't want to give the impression it's this wide open forum or just random questions. It's specific to the module that you're in. So everyone has its own. All 30 modules has its own discussion. So you're not randomly just reading stuff that you're not interested in. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's, a, that's pretty cool. Kind of a long-winded version of it. But it, so I built the course using a learning platform. I decided early on that the YouTube 
kind of idea where you just post up a bunch of videos was not going to work. I needed something where guys or girls, whatever, elk hunters, let's just call them elk hunters since we're, you know, gender neutral here. Um, they could take a course because it's 30 hours. You're not going to do it in one setting unless you're just really crazy. Um, it keeps track of where you're at exactly. The next time you log in, you pick up right there, and it kind of bookmarks your whole way through. You can keep notes all the whole bit. But the only way I could do it is if I went to a learning platform, like an educate, like a university setting. So I basically built it using a university course um, platform. And I'm so glad I did because all the tools, I mean, it doesn't have testing. I could. It's got the capabilities. Maybe I should start testing people. But, uh, get 10 bucks back if you get all the see. answers right. <laughs> it might be fun to see some of the, some of the scores. But, but this way, I could also, with somebody like if Nate's taking the course, I'm going to send you guys codes. Let's say Nate's taking the course and he, and he sends me a message. I can log into Nate's account. And I can see what percentage of the course he's taken. I can see where he's at. I can see what he's doing, how much he's done and not done. So I have a good idea of what to say to him about certain things he's asking. If he's not very far into the course, I can say, well, you're not quite to the module address that question. And people just really like that part of – I think they like the fact that, one, they have you know contact with me directly so they can ask whatever they want. But number two is they can kind of track their progress. They can leave it for a week, come back, and pick up right where they're at. There's not notice. Well, where was I at in that YouTube video? And I got to fast forward to 25 minutes of the video or whatever. Yeah, so, that, that anyway, is nice. That, that, that's kind of how it works. Just like a college class. I mean, it makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I well, look forward to checking it out for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, well, so here's, a, here's what we should do. Here's what we should do. You guys should. I'm going to send you guys code, both of you guys. You guys should take a few modules, and then we should maybe do another podcast once you guys actually do you, and then it might be everybody's like, this is like the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> or, or you'd be like, you might have some actual questions, or you might have some input one way or the other. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's a good idea. Yeah, it's a really good one. Well, and, and another thing I was going to circle back to uh, to wrap this up is, you know, it's hard to try to, I guess, put all the advice you would give a new elk hunter into, well, you know, an hour or two hour podcast um, to try is. to say, you know, so, I mean, to, to the listener, I know there feels like there was a lot to listen to. And really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But you know, kind of what where to go you know that it's about right. just making the decision first off to do it and then the next thing is there there are there are some places that you can start figuring out what you want to do so that if you're somebody that has no idea where they would go well you heard a lot about different states on this show if you have no idea how you would find them uh treeline pursuits treeline academy um and if if not at, at least you can start looking at different options. So, I mean, we do appreciate you trying to trying to kind of compress that and doing uh, a little bit of that, but it's it's difficult to do. So, um, we do appreciate it. And um, what else you got for me? Sometimes you just got to take the shotgun approach. You know, sometimes I think with guys, 
you have to throw a lot of information out. And I encourage you guys to listen to this podcast is to go back and listen again because there's a lot of nuances that we talked about tonight that like when Arizona, we didn't spend a lot of time, but we threw a lot of things at y'all at once. Yeah. New Mexico, we talked about. I, I had all these different states. Even though you thought you heard everything, it might be worth it to go back, re-listen with a notepad, make some notes. You know, like you, just, it gives you things that you can start Googling at least. <laughs> you can start researching, going to Gohan if you want to get a membership there. Go to TopRut. So here's some services I use. I use TopRut.com. I love those guys. Love them for lots of reasons. We can maybe get into that another time. Say that again. Say that name again. TopRut.com. Okay. They've got a free service to download Google Earth KML layers. It is gold. I mean, it's beyond gold. It is the most, it is probably the most underutilized free resource in the elk hunting world today. Okay. I'm not kidding. When you go and you do you do your own research, read about it, and if you use Google Earth and you know what a KML file is, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what a KML file is and, you, and you're and you an elk hunter, you need to educate yourself, like yesterday. Gotcha, yeah. Um, so toprud.com has a free service. You can download all this stuff for free. But they also have a really cheap, I think it's $19 a year, Yep. Research service where you can, you know, do tag research and stuff. And then that's a, that's one of my top recommendations for a service to help you pick areas and look at data, harvest reports, and how many points it takes to draw, blah, blah, blah. The second one, and I don't know that it's – I don't want to put them in order, but I'm a member of both. I pay my own memberships too, guys. I do not take free memberships from any of these any of these guys. My course, one thing I'll say, last thing I'll say about my course, guys, it's not a sales pitch for anything. It will never be a sales pitch for anything. I'm not selling you Onyx. I'm not telling you Go Hunt. I'm showing you what Go Hunt is good at. I'm showing you what Onyx is good at. I'm showing you what Gaia is good at. I'm showing you what Google Earth is good at. But I'm also showing you what they're freaking terrible at. And I get a lot of grief for that mm-hmm. from these guys. But I, I hold no punches. There's some stuff about Onyx that I freaking hate. There's some stuff about Onyx that I freaking love. And I tell you straight up, it's an unbiased, straight-up opinion. And you're not going to find a course like that. Every other course, every other thing you ever find, anything you find is a promotion, it seems like, from some platform or the other. Right. And that's one thing I hated. I hated that. Yep. I'm like, I want to know what's best and the features, and I might buy them all. I might. I think as an elk hunter, you need multiple tools. Guys, are you going to have a toolbox? One last thing I'm going to say. Are you going to have a toolbox with only a screwdriver in it? No, you're not. <laughs> Micah would. So why would you? Well, Micah might. I can do most Micah's of my job with a Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> Micah's from Missouri, too. Um, uh. <laughs> but no, I, we get you what you're saying, though. It makes sense. You want the tool for the job, right? Yep. And in some jobs, Gaia is your tool by far. In other jobs, OnX is definitely your tool. But I can tell you one thing for sure. Google Earth is the most powerful e-scouting tool there is. 
bar none, and it's free. Mm-hmm. It's free. The problem with Google Earth is it doesn't come set up for hunters. Right. It comes raw. It's just aerial photo imagery. That's all it is. It's just aerial photo imagery. It doesn't have hunting districts. It doesn't have fires. It doesn't have cattle allotments. It doesn't have motor vehicle use roads. It doesn't have timber logging stuff. It doesn't have any of that stuff by default. But that's all stuff you can add to it. And that's what, in the course, I teach everyone how to do it, how to add in all this amazing these amazing features into Google Earth to use with these incredible 3D aerial photo imagery that you can get. And that's the missing link in Google Earth is that all the good stuff for elk hunters doesn't come. Topographic maps, for example. Most people do not know that you can look at topographic imagery in Google Earth. But you can if you install the right KML file. Okay. And... um, you can do it all. And some people know it. Some people don't. Some people know part of it. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing. So the point is that there's a tool for every job, and no tool, no tool is good for every job. So that's really what I kind of one last thing I want to say is that I really wanted this course to be non-biased, non-influenced, non-sponsored, I mean, you're paying me. You're paying me $100 to teach you how to find elk. You're not paying me $100 to sell you on buying uh, Gaia GPS. Right. Now, I I think Gaia is pretty dang badass. I'm just going to be honest. But (laughs) that's not what you're paying me for. You're paying me to teach you the best tools available. Right. Not to be one-sided. Not to only be... One dimensional, right? So anyway, yeah, got it. I mean that's my that's my soapbox, but that's my biggest complaint about the hunting industry is that oh well, you're not really an elk hunter if you're not wearing first light clothes, or you're not really an elk hunter if you don't wear Sitka, or you're not. I mean, or if you don't wear a kafaru. I mean, how could you be a legit elk hunter if you're not carrying a kafaru backpack? Well, that's BS. Yep. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they're not fantastic. I have a Kafaru backpack. It's freaking amazing. Now, I'll be honest, it's a little heavy, but it's a freaking badass pack. <laughs> and But there's plenty of other great ones. <laughs> great yeah. ones. And that's that goes back, to, I mean, we're not going to get into it, but that goes back into the, the gear side. I mean, honestly. Oh, I hope, I know we didn't get into that. I hope we didn't talk to talking yet, because I'd really like to get into that <laughs> in the next podcast. Yeah, and honestly, a good pair of boots. Um, a decent little base layer and a, a pack that is capable of packing meat. There you go. That's better. You're ready to roll. You're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I Buy your puppy jacket from freaking some no-name. Eddie Bauer. Or yeah. some, I mean, you don't even need a hunting. Whatever. It doesn't. Yeah. No camouflage. Screw the camouflage. Screw yeah. the camouflage. They don't see I, it. I'm wear, I wear solid earth tone layers 90% now. That's what I've been doing. I'm convinced I, that it just doesn't. I'm not saying it won't give you a little edge. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I've been on a couple of kinds of little funny story. When this one dude, a friend of mine, moved here to Montana, we became really good friends. We started hunting together. He was appalled that my camo didn't match. Like, <laughs> I wore, I was wearing, like, a Kuyu jacket and, like, six pants. And he was like, what the hell? 
I'm like, dude, are you serious? I'm like, <laughs> I got them on sale. And then, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's just like people get so worked up about things that will not help you kill out. Yeah. <laughs> I wear Wrangler I mean, stretch pants when I go out to Colorado. I get them for $21, and they do just You wear five. what? Wrangler. What? They're Wranglers. They're Wrangler poly what? pants. They're did, like, you say, did you say Wrangler stretch pants? Yeah, they're like, uh, what are they, poly or something? Yeah, they're, they're 100% poly, and they, yeah, they they're, just like a, they're just like a, a, a pair of Sikas would be or whatever, but they're, they're 20, 20 bucks. 20 bucks, and they have <laughs> not let me down yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Wrangler stretch pants. Yep. Uh, he's a loser. Got, I'm he's a loser. Look, I'm gonna have to look it up. I'm gonna have to look it up. They're Are comfortable. You guys rodeo, ex rodeo guys or something. No, 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 definitely no. not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. So I got them Wrangler. for work. So you know, everybody, everybody, every podcast, you're always looking for like a tagline. That's yeah. it. Wrangler, Wrangler stretch pants. pants. Wrangler stretch pants. <laughs> you heard it here first on Missouri Woods and Water. Hey, it was Micah, not Nate. <laughs> Oh man! Well, anyway, I know you guys might have to edit this podcast. It went a little long, but oh no, it's really right. it was awesome talking to you guys. Really awesome, and I think your people are going to get a lot out of this when you guys have some good questions. But I mean, seriously, if if somebody really was wanting to to elk hunt and they listen to this two hour show, I mean, there's a lot of information that they can take away from this to say, hey, this is how I'm going to start, and uh, it, hopefully it's a good they, start. Yeah, and hopefully they you know get on there and take your course and. Probably just get them more fired up and ready to go. Yep. And now well, is the time to be starting, not in June. Yeah. No, and you know, and it's funny. One, I know I keep saying this, but I mentioned that non-resident elk hunting group on Facebook. You know, before. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't tell you how many dudes. I, I, I'm actually a little sad when I read them, and like some dude says, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about elk hunting this year. Um, and I'm thinking I'd like to hunt Arizona. So what'd be the best unit? <laughs> and I'm like, you're about they, to get your they have no idea. Yeah. They, Not yet. They at have least. no idea that it takes you 25 years to get that tag. Yeah. They just, you know, they think that you just go down there and you just start hunting elk. Yeah. And, um, now I know your people listening to this are not going to think that, but it is blows my mind when people start elk hunting that they don't really understand the scope of what it takes to do it. Well, you guys, even, even you guys, five years in, you just said it. You're just figuring that a little bit of that out yourself. Cause you're just, yep. getting a, you're just getting your draw strategy worked out now. Right. Yeah. We're still getting our feet and wet. So, kind uh, of. Yeah. You're still figuring it out. And so maybe, maybe the few, you know, a few people will, really get some benefit from this and start and they'll get a five-year really head start a, you know like investigating it we're five years down the road where we should have been you know potentially five six seven years ago if someone's listening to this that is you know early into this well they can be five years ahead of schedule now i mean you know whereas you, we're, you guys could have you got you guys could have already drawn two wyoming tags you could have drawn – you would have had five points in Colorado, which would have got you dang near one of the best muzzleloading tags. Um, yeah. You could have you could have hunted Montana at least two, if not three years, and be guaranteed any – you would have been guaranteed whenever you wanted to hunt Montana, you would have been able to go. Um, and in five years, shit, you had a decent chance of drawing a New Mexico tag. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Mark. Appreciate and, it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to put salt. I don't want to put salt in the wound, but I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> so, hey, All right. uh, well, it's really it's a real pleasure, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, buddy. Nice to nice to meet you and talk. And um, yeah, we'll get back with you at some point too, and do another one maybe after we go through this course and. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll email you some codes for you too, and I'm really looking forward to feedback from you guys. Yeah, awesome, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, bud. Uh, don't hang up here. We'll stop recording and we'll go from there. Okay. All right. We'll see you. Good night. All righty, that's gonna do it for this one, guys. So that was a really good one. We really appreciate Mark coming on. Uh, a lot of information in that one. So. If you have to listen to it again, that's okay. We'll take the download. Man, you really, you really are enjoying telling people to listen to this one twice. I'm just saying, there was a lot of good information <laughs> in there. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff to digest. Yeah, so. it is. And I, I'll, there's actually a spot that he talked about with Idaho that I'm going to go back and listen to because I don't remember exactly what he said, and I'd like to know that for us because. We did have our meeting, and we're trying to make decisions. And a lot of what Mark said is kind of making me wonder what we should do now. To be honest with you, but well, I mean, he confirmed what I already thought, which was nice. Because I mean, but you guys were all talking about Arizona, and me. Whenever we had our meeting, I was just like, I'm like, you got to have twenty some points, blah blah blah. I'm like, well, not I'm not that many, but you know, you get what I'm saying. And yeah. I was like, I just, I don't, I don't have the time. Well. I don't want to put that time or that money. But he did say if that. you have a five to like nine year plan, you sure. can draw a decent sure. unit in Arizona. Absolutely. So if that's can. our plan, you know, there's all these things you got to work through, and yeah, that's part of part of getting into elk hunting is yeah. okay. How am I going to do it, and what is my plan? Do I want to hunt different states? If you do, it's the you know it's the time to start looking at it, not five years down the road. Right. Start now so that you have points built up. You have yeah. things built up. I mean, more than likely, and we talked, we touched on it a little bit on the podcast, but more than likely there probably will always be some type of over-the-counter tag that you should be able to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. But also we touched on the fact that it might not be that way. You know, Colorado, they're getting bombarded. There's less and less units there. Less and less units that are just over-the-counter. So What was it last year, 12? That went from OTC to draw only? Something like that. And, and that was some, just last year. And some of them just went to bull only and certain things like that. So if you – not to discourage you, but you need to start thinking about these things if you do decide you want to go, even if it's three years from now. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's something you want to, you know, say, hey, in three years I can save up the money in between now and then and go. Um, well, you you know, you want to be put yourself in the best position. And taking his course, he's going to teach you how to put yourself in the best position. So, yeah. so like I said, really appreciate him coming on. Uh, you guys definitely go give, go check out his stuff. You know, take his course if that's something you're looking into. Um, the, yeah, website is uh, treelinepursuits.com, and then you can go into Treeline Academy from there. Yep. Uh, we didn't even get into llamas. I wanted to talk about llamas with him, and we didn't. Even, he's got llamas. Yeah, uh, he yep. does llama stuff. Uh, he lives in Montana now. Yeah, uh, they do llama rentals and all this cool stuff. So we didn't even get to that stuff, but we'll probably have him on again at some point, maybe. For sure. And, uh, you know, talk about some more stuff. But uh, so check him out there. He's on 
on Facebook and Instagram too. I'm mm-hmm. just also um, search it. But. Gr- Gritty Bowman. I don't know if you guys ever if you haven't Gritty Bowman. He he does a podcast as well. Great podcast. Um, and they're doing like a series on this. Yes, yeah. on this exact thing. So if you know you want to hear more from him, go check out Gritty Bowman. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it, and we will talk to y'all later.